It's been a number of years ago. Patsy and I were at a what was called a faith workshop. It was at Bannockburn Baptist Church a number of years ago when Bannockburn was a much smaller church than it is now. Uh, the pastor at the time was uh, James Abington, and the Bible teacher that we had that was doing this faith workshop was a guy named Manly Beasley. And I remember this because the first night of that workshop, uh, the Bible teacher, Manly Beasley, was telling all of us about the incredible things that God had done for him personally when he just asked God to do it and then trusted God with the outcome. Actually, he trusted God to do exactly what he asked. And so we heard all of these wonderful stories about trusting God to do things and then asking God to do what we were trusting him to do. I hope that makes sense to you. It, I'm not sure it made sense to me. But so he wanted us to, con to close the evening by asking God for something, anything, and then trust that he was going to do it. Well, at that particular, during that particular season of our life, uh, we did not have reliable transportation. And so this was my perfect opportunity to ask God for something that was a little more reliable. And, uh, and according to the Bible teacher, I should be able to trust God to do that. And so we were in a little prayer group there. We were split up in the church, and we were in little groups of praying. And, uh, and I asked God for a Volkswagen van. Now, you might think, what in the world would anybody ask God for a folder? Let's go back, okay? Let's go back 40 years. There was no such thing as an SUV, okay? Uh, we did have running water, okay? But there, there, there was no such thing as SUVs. Minivans hadn't come out. If you had a growing family and you wanted everybody to be able to ride in the same vehicle, Volkswagen vans was really kind of the end thing at the time. And... Uh, and so I prayed that God would give me a Volkswagen van. And just to make sure that it was the one that came from God, I asked God to make it blue. Okay, so that's my prayer, trusting God for a Volkswagen van. Well, it wasn't just a few weeks, and, and I, I was offered this great deal on a Volkswagen van. It wasn't blue, but the guy said he would paint it whatever color I wanted. And so I thought, well, that, that sort of fits. And so I asked him to play, paint it blue. And then sure enough, it wasn't long before I had this cool looking blue Volkswagen van in my driveway. Well, then the van got a little bit dirty. Of course, we had three little bitty kids and, and uh, it got really dirty. So I decided to go out one Saturday morning and clean out the van. And so I started pulling the floor mats out so I could do a real good cleaning. And I pulled one floor mat out and I looked and I realized I could see the road through the floor. And I thought, what in the world? And so I started pulling other floor mats out. That whole van, the whole back of that van, the floor was rusted. And, I mean, we had three little bitty kids. I was afraid one of them was going to fall through when we were driving down the, driving down the road. Now, now folks, I, why, why, why did God give that Bible teacher good things when he prayed for those good things and he gave me a van with a rusted bottom? That didn't make sense. I believe God. I trusted God for that. Now, one, one of the verses that was used during that conference was one in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 18, and it goes something like this. It says, my righteous ones will live by faith. 
But what does that mean? Obviously for me, there was more to living by faith than trusting God for a Volkswagen van since the one I got was rusted and I could lose my kids. Now, last week, Mac started a brand new series called Why Bother? And, and in that whole series, we're kind of pointing toward Easter and talking about inviting people to come to our Easter, our Easter service. In fact, we have some of you, I hope you, you picked up when they, when they came by, I hope you picked up one of these little egg invites, these egg vites or whatever, whatever we're, we're calling them. And, uh, and I hope you give them out. I, I carry them around in my pocket so I can whip them out real fast. And, and I'm, I'm getting pretty good. Watch this. Watch this. See, I'm a fast draw. Oops, wasn't that fast. Okay, <laughs> got it out. And, and, I, and I carry these everywhere. In fact, the first Sunday that we got these, I used to work over here at this Big Caves Home Depot. And so I, I had a whole back pocket full of these. And I was walking around Home Depot looking for people I knew so I could pack up and, and giving out these cards. And, and there's one guy over there. That he, he always takes these. You know, we do these at, at Easter and Christmas and, and sometimes for special things. We have these little, these little invites. And one guy, and I saw him and I gave him one. And he told me, he says, he, he's, never, he's never accepted my invite yet. But he has these, every one I've ever given him, all over the dashboard of his car. He says he keeps them there thinking it'll bring him good luck. Okay, now I don't know how lucky he's been since I started giving him these invites. But I'm not going to give up. Okay, I'm going to keep giving him invites until he shows up here, and I hope that he comes here on, on Easter. Uh, then, then, uh, then I will think, wow, it works it. Okay, so what does, what does that have to do, all that why bother and, and egg invites and all of that, what does that have to do with Easter? Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Mac introduced this verse to us last week, and it says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Now, that word for disciples, not one we use very often, it's actually a word that just means follower. And so when Jesus says make disciples, they're going to be Disciples who follow, who are followers of Christ, from which we get the phrase we often use, Christ follower, and uh, our, our Christian actually it carries with it the, the same idea, Christ follower. And so, from Matthew, if we're going to be making Christ followers, which is what we're hoping happens when we give people these Easter invites, that implies that a person to be a Christ follower is something we choose to do. It's not something we're born into any more than we, we're, born in, we're born a Democrat or a Republican. Okay, It's something we choose to be. It works the same way with, with being a Christ follower. It's something we choose to do. And, and the, where this faith, this faith comes into this, living by faith, is the reason we bother inviting people to come to Easter is because we want them to have an opportunity to hear about Jesus and then place faith 
in him. You see, choosing to become a Christ follower is something we do by faith, meaning we can't see Jesus with, with these eyes, okay? But we can hear about him. So someone comes Easter, and they hear that God loves them, and God loves them so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, who died, and then he defeated death. And he defeated death so he can give it, give this brand new life to anybody, this, to anybody who places faith in him, who chooses to become his follower. And so we give these invites hoping that our friends will come to Easter, they will hear about Jesus, and they will become his follower by placing faith in him. And then if they come, then most likely at the end of the service, toward the end of the service, Mac will ask your friends and, and give them an opportunity, now that they've heard about Jesus, it will give them an opportunity to pray and and, and make a commitment to Christ. Ask Jesus Christ to be the Lord of their life. And then he's going to ask them to mark that time by holding up their hand. And then after their hand's up for a little while, he's going to ask them to put their hand down. But Hebrews 10, 38 indicates that that life of faith that began when they put their hand up doesn't end when they put their hand down. Living by faith is something that happens tomorrow and next month and through all of the seasons of life. And, and so for that new believer, that new person that, that you bring to Jesus, that you bring here and they place faith in Christ and they have a brand new life, but it's a new life that's going to be lived by faith. So what does that new life look like for that new believer? If it's not praying for a Volkswagen van that doesn't have a rusted bottom, okay, then what is it? What is that new life of faith? And Hebrews chapter 11, and by, by the way, this is going to come as you know, we just read Hebrews 10, 38. It's going to surprise you. Hebrews 11 comes next. Okay, so you got that. So we have what the life of faith, live by faith. Well, then the writer of the Hebrews goes in Hebrews chapter 11, and he gives us all of these men and women. So when we say, well, what is, does living by faith look like? Then the writer to the Hebrews said, read the next chapter, guys. Just read Hebrews 11. There's men and women, and they're going to talk to you about all sorts of different seasons of life and what life looks like, life by faith looks like during that season. Well, we don't have time to talk about all those people this morning. And, uh, in fact, we probably don't have time to talk about all those people if we stayed here for a week. But we can talk about one. And I, I want to talk about a guy named Abraham. And I want to talk about Abraham because in Hebrews 11 we see four very distinct seasons of life in which Abraham is used as an example of what this new life of faith is supposed to look like. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to begin in verse 8. Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 8. And we're going to take a look at this first season where Abraham learned to live by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. It says, 
It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home. Now, before we move on, understand, when God called Abraham to leave home, he's leaving behind his aunts and his uncles and his cousins and, and his whole family. However big that family was, he's leaving all of those people. He's leaving home, leaving family behind. And then it says, and God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, the world that Abraham lived in was not a very safe world. In fact, the world Abraham lived in was not a lot different than the Middle Eastern world is today. It is not a safe place to live. And so if you're in a place that's not a safe place to live, especially in Abraham's day, the people you could count on most was, the, was your family. And so if another family or another neighborhood just over on the other side of the hill decided they wanted to come over on your side of the hill and take the stuff that belongs to you for themselves, you would gather your family together and your family would be the ones you would count on to keep those guys from taking what is yours. Also, sometimes rainy seasons weren't all that rainy. And so if you had a rainy season that was supposed to be rainy but it wasn't rainy, it was your family that you pulled together and everybody sort of pooled their resources in order to make it to the next rainy season. So when God says, Abraham, I want you to leave home, I want you to leave your family, he was asking Abraham to leave the security that he had at home and go someplace where family wasn't there. And so with this first season that we see in Abraham, we learn that living by faith is to choose God over security during seasons of uncertainty. Well, now, if this was such a hard decision for Abraham to make, you might wonder, well, why on earth did he make that decision? Aha, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Because in Genesis chapter, in Genesis, we're told that Abraham did not have any kids. Now, this was a big deal, especially in Abraham's day. It's a big deal to us, but it's a really big deal in Abraham's day. And so not only did God promise Abraham a a new place to live that was going to be really cool. He also promised him something as an inheritance, which implies that he's going to give him a son who would carry on his inheritance. And so the biggest reason Abraham was willing to leave one family is because God says, if you go over here, I will give you a son and you'll build your own family. And so Abraham trusted God, and he made the trip for that first season, leaving, choosing God rather than security. So let's move on to the next season. Look in verse 9, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. So he's still living by faith. Now check the, what, what he says next. For he was like a foreigner 
So what does that imply? That implies Abraham never got a wedding invitation. He never got a birthday invitation to go to a birthday party. He didn't have anybody to hang around with, anybody that he wasn't paying to hang around with him, you know, his hired hands. In fact, even his relationship with God wasn't really very exciting. In the whole book of Genesis, we only find three times in 25 years that God spoke to Abraham. You think your time with the Lord gets a bit dull sometimes. Folks, Abraham's, Abraham's takes not, not a very exciting time with the Lord to a whole new level. Genesis kind of gives us a little insight into this time with Abraham. Abraham was, uh, the Bible says in Genesis, it was day Abraham was sitting under a tree. And he was thinking about how exciting it was to be living all by himself in the promised land. And he didn't have a place to, to charge up his iPad. Uh, he'd probably read all the Harry Potter books. And so he's just sitting under this tree, and he looks over on the horizon, and he sees three guys coming. Immediately, Abraham says, oh, my gosh, company. And the Bible says in Genesis that he got up and he ran to meet these guys. Now, folks, Abraham was 99 years old. And Genesis says he got up and he ran to meet these guys. Now, I'm going to move the clock 30 years down the road. Let's pretend God leaves me here till I'm 99. Oh, what a, that, that's not a pleasant thought. Okay, but, but, but what, what if God does leave me here till I'm 99? And, uh, and you come to visit me. Now, now I really like y'all. I really do. Okay. But there's no way that when you ring the doorbell that I'm going to convince my 99-year-old legs to jump up and come to the door to greet you. It has nothing against you. But Abraham, he didn't just run to the door. He looks up and he sees three guys. He was probably thinking, oh, my word, what if they pass me by? And he gets up and he runs, not just to the front door. He runs over fields and whatever else he had to get these guys. And then when he got there, he begged them. He begged them to come and have dinner with him. And then when, he, when they said yes, and he got them back toward the tent, he hollers into the tent, Sarah, we have company. Make some bread. And so then when he has them all settled down with something cool to drink, the Bible says he runs over to where the cows were grazing, and he tells one of his hired hands to, 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 to butcher a fat calf and to barbecue up some, some ribeyes for, the, for, this, for his all of a sudden favorite person in his whole life. And he did all of these. He did all of this just so he could sit and have a conversation with a few guys that he wasn't paying to sit there and have a conversation with him. Now, you see, folks, living by faith. This is his second season. Living by faith is to remain faithful to God during seasons of loneliness. And I might add, most lonely seasons are also very boring. Living to God and being faithful to God during seasons of loneliness. 
You ever so lonely or maybe so bored that you think about going someplace that you shouldn't be, where you shouldn't be, to do something that you shouldn't do in order to be with someone whose life is going in a different direction than your life. You see, loneliness can be a powerful motivator to at least temporarily forget God. Not long, just temporarily. But to live by faith is to remain faithful to God even during seasons of loneliness. So let's go to the next season. Verse 11. It says, it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. Now, Abraham, at this point, Abraham had been waiting 24 years for God to give him the son that he had been promised. Abraham was 99. Sarah was 89. Now, I don't know where medical science was 2,000 years before Christ. But Abraham probably did not need a doctor to tell him that he and Sarah were, prob were probably not going to have kids. That he probably already figured that out. But even though God had delayed giving them the promise, he and evidently, according to Hebrews 11, they held on, okay? They clung, they clung to God. They, they, and they even trusted God to do what he's promised. And, and that, that platform of faith, it was from that platform of faith that God came through. And he did what everybody thought was impossible, and he gave them a miracle baby that they named Isaac, which means he laughs. And I would imagine there was a whole lot of laughter when Sarah went running around saying, I'm pregnant. Can you imagine? You're kidding me. No, I'm really pregnant. You see, living, living by faith, is to continue to maintain and cultivate a relationship with God during seasons of disappointment, during seasons of doubt. When life doesn't look the way you thought it was going to look and you become disappointed, living by faith continues to maintain and cultivate that relationship with God. And then if we continue to do that, if we continue to trust God, in that platform of living by faith, sometimes in God's timing, then God intervenes and does something really special that only he could do. I will never forget the afternoon. Patsy, I was at work, and Patsy called me at work and said, you need to come home. And so I came home, and she said, we need to pray. Now, Patsy was pregnant. She, I think she was a little less than three months pregnant. And in the last year and a half, she had had two miscarriages. And it really looked like we were headed for miscarriage number three. And so we knelt by the bed. And I don't remember what I prayed, but I remember what Patsy prayed. Because Patsy 
Patsy pray. God, if this child is not going to glorify you with her life, then take her right now. But God, if she will glorify you with her life, then let her live. Now understand, this was a long time ago. This was right after Noah's flood. Okay? And, and they didn't have all of the imaging where you can see your baby and, your, and, and, and you can figure out what sex it is. I don't know if you can do it in three months, but, but you can see what sex it is uh, with this imaging. And, and somehow or another, she knew she had a girl. I have no idea how. I guess it was a mother thing. But, but she prayed specifically for her. If this child is not going to glorify you with her life, then Lord, take her right now. But if she will glorify you with her life, then let her live. And within a matter of hours, what we thought was going to be miscarriage number three stopped. And six months later, the doctor put a little baby girl on Patsy's stomach in the delivery room. And Patsy and I immediately started praying to give this little girl to the Lord. Now, you who have been in a delivery room, you, especially you ladies, you know that's not a very private place, okay? There's a lot of people in a delivery room, and I find myself wondering, do all of these people really need to be in here? I mean, there are people doing everything. And so this delivery room, there was all sorts of people in there, but we didn't even notice this little baby girl, this little miracle baby was right here on Patsy's stomach. And when we prayed, we weren't paying attention to them. What we found out later was that everything in that delivery room stopped. We found out later there were people in that delivery room didn't even believe in God. But yet when we were giving our little baby girl to the Lord, they all stopped. And we didn't know this until later when we had people come up to us and say, that, that was y'all, wasn't it? That was y'all. I've heard about this. The whole hospital's talking about it. That the whole, all of the people, they stopped while you prayed and gave your little girl to the Lord. But that just seemed like, at the time, that just seemed like the most natural thing to do. You see, that was a time of real disappointment. And, and if we were going to lose another baby, that was really going to be hard. But part of living by faith is to maintain and cultivate that relationship with God during seasons of disappointment and, and doubt. And sometimes in that platform of faith, God intervenes and does something really cool that only God can do. Let's go to the next season. I think this is season number four. At verse, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. It says, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham was ready to sacrifice his only son. Now, let me stop there because this is, this is something, this is hard for us to believe. That we don't, in the world we live in, that somebody would actually deliberately kill their own child. But in the world that Abraham lived in, his, for his neighbors, this was normal. 
It was something that was, many of those neighbors, they did, they would take their own children and sacrifice their children to these pagan gods. So when God was testing Abraham, and he says, here's what I want you to do, Abraham. I want you to go and, 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 and sacrifice your son to me. Abraham took him seriously. Now, Genesis chapter 22 tells us that at the very last second, God provided a ram. And, and the ram took the place of Isaac on that altar where Abraham was getting, to get, getting ready to, to, to sacrifice his son. But Hebrews 11 makes it very clear. Abraham was not expecting a ram. Look in the next verse, or verse 19. It says, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. When Abraham raised his knife over the bound body of his son, he was not expecting God to intervene. He was expecting to actually have to plunge that knife into his son. You know, I think sometimes we think that because of our relationship with God and because of our faith, we will be protected from the really bad seasons of life. That when some sort of tragedy is approaching, like a miscarriage or or maybe marriage difficulties, or maybe there's health issues, or maybe, maybe, maybe there's a child that, that, that is making some wrong decisions. And, and I think sometimes we assume that because of our faith, we're going to be protected from this tragedy, that, that God's going to do a miracle because of our faith. But Abraham wasn't expecting a miracle, at least not until after the death. And for us, what if there is no miracle? What if the marriage isn't saved? What if the cancer doesn't go away? Okay, what if the, the child does make wrong decisions and, and, and there's consequences that result because of that? What if, what if God doesn't do the impossible in spite of our faith that he could do the impossible. In Daniel chapter 3, there's a story of three young men who were absolutely determined to cling to God and be faithful to God regardless of what God allowed life to throw at them. The three men were three Hebrew young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, although their Hebrew names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But we use Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because evidently that's easier to say than Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so, in fact, there's songs about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I have yet to hear a song about Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So, but here's these, here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And King Nebuchadnezzar had built this really tall statue that, that looked sort of like him. And in fact, it was actually built in his honor. And he commanded everybody to bow down to this statue. And if they didn't, he says, I'm going to throw you in the fire. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no way. We're not going to do that. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar found out, and he brought Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah into, the, in, in, into where his throne room there. And uh, he gave him one last chance. He says, I'll give you one, one more time. I'm going to tell you, bow down to that statue, that idol, 
or I'm going to throw you into the furnace. Here's what they said. It's in Daniel chapter 3. They said, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. But catch this next part. This is the operative words. But even if he doesn't, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Even if he doesn't, we will never serve your gods. Living by faith is to cling to God during seasons of loss, during seasons of tragedy, during seasons of grief and fear, regardless of the cost. You see, as I read the New Testament, there was a time in which the apostle Peter was in prison. And an angel came and took Peter by the hand and led him out of prison so that he could walk free and he was safe. There's another time when Apostle Peter was in prison and a Roman guard came in and took him outside so they could nail him to a cross. There was a time when the Apostle Paul was in prison and there was an earthquake and all of the locks sprung and the Apostle Paul and all the guys with him just got up and walked out of prison. There was another time historians tell us that the Apostle Paul was in prison and a Roman guard came in and, and took Paul outside and they cut his head off. There was a time when an angry mob carried Jesus up a hill. They were going to kill him. They were going to throw him off this hill. But the Bible tells us that Jesus... Somehow, miraculously, he just walked back through this mob. But there was another time when an angry mob took Jesus up the hill. And they crucified him. In Psalm chapter 30, verse 5, it says, Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. Living by faith is clinging to God during the night, waiting for the morning, because the morning will come. And we cling to God during this season of night, because when the worst, the worst that could happen does happen, faith knows it's not finished. It's not done. Now, let's think about, let's go back to these Easter invites. Wouldn't it just really, you know some friends, you know some friends right now, that they're going through a tough season of life. What if they accepted your invite, and they came here, and they made a decision for Christ, and they could then face that season knowing that it's not finished? It's not done. This is not the final chapter. That regardless of how, how hard this season is, the morning's going to come. Let me ask you something. What is this season in your life? What does it look like right now? Is it, is it a joy comes in the morning kind of a season? Or is it a season of weeping? Which is it? Living by faith is chasing after God during all the seasons. 
knowing that regardless of what's happening in this season, God is not finished. And we chase after God during these nighttime seasons, looking with our mind's eye past this season to Jesus, who not only died for us, but he beat death. And right now he is at the right hand of God waiting to pull all the pieces together for eternity. We know that. And right now, right now, he is fitting his plans for you in with his plans for eternity. Now let me ask you, knowing that, knowing that, knowing that whatever's going on in your season right now, whether it's good or whether it's bad, wouldn't it lie? Wouldn't it just be cool to know that God was taking those this season and whatever's going on, he is going to fit what's happening right now into his incredible, wonderful plan when Jesus puts all of his enemies under his feet. By the way, these are tears of joy. These are not tears of sadness. Because when I think about that, that's just cool, but I'm going to be one of the, I'm going to be the only guy, maybe, that when I see Jesus, I'm going to cry like a baby. Everybody else is going to be singing, hallelujah, hallelujah, not me, I'm going to be bawling. But wouldn't that be great to say, oh God, I want to live this season with you. So you can take this season and work it into your incredible eternal plan. You want this season to be like that? If that's what you want to do then I'm going to ask you to tell God three things. Just three. That's easy. Three things. First of all, tell God exactly what you think about this season. If it's a wonderful season, say, God, thank you for this season. If it stinks, then tell God this stinks. Let's at least be honest. Tell God what you think about this season. But... Even in a stinky season, do you know that God loves you? And do you know that because Jesus died and defeated death, that he's going to take this season and he's going to complete his promises for you? Do you know that? Then tell him that too. Tell God, this season, this season stinks. But I know you're faithful and you're going to keep your promises to me. And then you can say, so God, I want to live this season by faith. And then ask God to give you the grace to live through this season minute by minute. Now, what if you're here and you've, you've never entered into that relationship, that faith relationship with, with Jesus Christ? You can do the same thing, regardless of what kind of season. It all begins when you, when you turn away from a life without God and you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and make your life about Jesus. You're going to be a follower of Jesus. It's real simple. In, in, I mean, it's simple to say. Then all the rest of the seasons get worked into God's eternal, wonderful plan. And you can do that today. In just a moment, we're going to pray. And while there's a lot of people praying around you that are telling God what a sneaky season they're living in, okay, 
you can say, oh, God, I want my life, I want you, I want to live my life with you in it. Ask God to forgive you for living life without him. Ask Jesus Christ to come in and be your Lord. Will you bow your heads? Now, some of you right now are trying to decide whether you want to live this season by faith. But some of you have never made that decision before. And so now's your chance. And just tell God, God, I want to live my life with you instead of without you. You can just say it under your breath to God. Ask Jesus, ask him to forgive you for trying to live life without him. And then here's the really important thing to say just between you and God. Ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. Call him by name. Jesus Christ, come into my life and be my boss. Be my Lord. Just say that. It would go something like this. Lord God, forgive me for living life without you. And Lord Jesus, come into my life and be my Lord. That's all, that's all you need to say. You can say more, but that's all you need to say. And if you just prayed that prayer, if you just said that to God for the first time, before you leave here today, there's a connect card that you were handed when you came in. Just fill that out and put on there about the decision. And then check the decision that you just made for Christ. I will call you because I want to talk to you a little, just briefly over the phone about some important next steps in living this life of faith. So before you leave, be sure you fill that card out. And then when you leave, take it and give it to somebody in a blue shirt. Or even better than that, take it to the, to the blue tent and hand them the card. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, then I'm going to ask you to mark this time. Everybody's eyes are closed. Everybody's heads bowed. Just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. It's marking this time in your life, but it's also telling God, I'm serious. This is the first thing I'm doing by faith is I'm praying and I'm putting my hand up in the air. Just hold it up there for just a second. Just a few seconds more. Now we have a tradition around here at Lake Hills Church that when you put your hands down, we put ours together. 